0: Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard and thanks to Cryo Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. I think it's fair to say that the element of craft beer that has really created excitement and driven its growth are the bold flavours that mark a difference from the fairly anodyne lagers that went before. Hops have been the hero of this flavour drive for much of the past 20 years, and we have talked at length about those on Brews News. More recently, the bold flavours that yeast, such as Britannomyces or even lactic bacteria, Bring to Beer have further created interest and excitement to drive the category even more. One ingredient that hasn't really featured as a sexy headline is malt, at least until now. We are starting to see boutique malts to spring up, and larger ones look at ways to put the focus back on what is often referred to as beer's backbone. This week's guest is Belgen Coes, Regional General Manager Asia-Pacific for Cargill, owners of Joe White Maltings. Belgen has held this role for 18 months and over that time she's been driving a project that is being launched this week at BrewCon known as Signature Malt. This initiative will see Joe White Malting's assess malt coming in from every region across Australia after harvest and with the help of Bintani they will choose the best barley of the year and then match it with the most appropriate brewhouse in their network to malt that parcel of barley with the aim of giving brewers a malt and also the technical information about it that they need for great brewhouse performance. In addition to learning about how Joe White is working to bring the sexy back to malt, Belgen is also Belgian and speaks eloquently about the simple beauty of beer and the romance of Belgian beer culture, something that seems very relevant in our discussion about malt. Enjoy my conversation with Belgen Coes. welcome to beer as a conversation
1: thank you um, uh, thanks for having me
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being had Belgian. I, I guess uh, as I often say to some of our guests on Beer as a conversation you're not exactly a, a household name in in the brewing industry and yet you occupy a very important role in the industry you're the regional general manager Asia Pacific for Cargill mm-hmm. um, I, for people who are listening maybe you could just uh, answer my standard question for new guests is who is Belgian Co's
1: okay so i'll try to keep it brief um i'm indeed uh, based in australia now since year are in a half in the capacity of the managing director for cargill malt asia pacific so i'm leading the asia pacific operations of cargill malt in this part of the world
0: who of course own joe white maltings which is where we're relevant to the brewing industry
1: indeed and um, we'll also elaborate on that certainly but cargill malt is more than you know asia pacific we also have a global presence in all four continents uh, with 18 malting houses in four different continents, 10 different countries. Uh, also clearly contributing to the know-how we have been accumulating in the last 40 years uh, in the area of malting as cargo Malt.
0: Cargo is a fairly impressive, uh, it's the largest privately held company in the world I believe. Um, but you haven't exactly come from an agricultural background or a, uh, even a brewing background. You, you've come from a background that's uh, senior financial positions in packaging and even perfume. Yep. Um, how did you come to head up a, Australia's, you know, a major Malta in, in, in Australia?
1: Probably a lot of similarities with my um, last experience in the luxury high-end um, industry back in Europe um where the product is at the core of what we do and the customer is really also at the center of every decision we make and every initiative we undertake so looking at what we do in malting particularly knowing that our products are serving predominantly the brewing industry in asia pacific uh, and also focusing on the craft and distilleries in australia in particular um, we have a lot of commonality with what i used to see in my previous life in the luxury business you know, it's very much about really having that intimate affair around using the authentic ingredient. In this case, it will be the malting barley. Then it's about attention to detail. It's know-how, typically when we are malting the grain. It's about innovation and product consistency. And that's what we are really offering, you know, with our analytical capability in the laboratories across Australia. And most and foremost, it's really quality and servicing. And this is really what we are absolutely committed to as Joe White Mottings and Carbon Malt Globally.
0: Now, to our listeners who can hear your accent, you're obviously uh, not, a, not an Aussie. Um, you, you're from Belgium. Uh, I am. So, so you have a, a, a very good grounding in beer. Um, yeah. how, how long have you been in Australia now?
1: A year and a half. A
0: year and a half. Um, That's why it's
1: still mid-Atlantic, having reached Australia. Yet, <laughs> quite
0: <laughs> You've got a long way to go before you uh, get the Aussie drawl. Now, this might be a little bit unfair to pose to you, but um, Belgians treat beer with a reverence that possibly Australians don't. Um, have, you got, have you had a chance to form any views? You know, what, what, what is your experience with beer growing up? You know, what was your um, you know, a, a approach to beer and how does it contrast with what, how you've seen uh, Australians?
1: I can certainly claim that, you know, Belgium has the most diverse beer culture. That we can have across the globe and i say diverse beer culture not only because of the 1500 different beer varieties you know that we are finding in belgium or the most versatile forms of fermentation you know that makes the Belgian beer so unique but also because we elevate beer to a level that is hardly seen in elsewhere in the world beer is almost a sacred experience for the average belgian citizen and um, we have a f- few proof points you know that i can share with you but typically it's really part of our tradition and heritage. I mean, brewing and drinking beer goes hand in hand, and it has reached a certain point that even UNESCO has recognized the Belgian beer culture in 2016 as a world heritage. So this is something that we're absolutely proud of in Belgium, and we really also honor a saint, the saint of beer, Saint Gambrinus, since the 13th century, just to show. How sacred beer is and how intimate it is uh, with our lives. And also, we have a, a very famous ceremony in Belgium where every year we appoint honorary knights, um, you know, who, as part of a ceremonial that we call the Ceremonial of the Knighthood of the Brewers MASH staff, where we actually recognize individuals who have really proven themselves as true Belgian beer ambassadors. So these are all daily life events that demonstrate that beer and the Belgian beer drinker uh, are just inseparable, and this is really something we're absolutely proud of. The other aspect uh, where beer is a love story with the Belgian beer drinker is really the use of local products, and also the fact that the Belgian beer is really characterized by experimenting. You know, it's really open door to creativity and experimenting of different recipes ingredients and these are really paramount aspects of what makes the Belgian beer unique and last but not least we pair food with beer in Belgium and we also cook with beer so that we can really elevate a dish from ordinary to spectacular so that really what makes us so special being Belgian and loving beer as as, as I'm trying to share with all of you here um, but there are also some... Uh, similarities here in you know in Australia when I look at the craft beer or independent brewing industry and how that sector is you know being dynamic, audacious, although young compared to the Belgian heritage, um, there's still a long way to go and it, positively in terms of potential that you know the independent brewers can really grab in this market. Uh, to give you a, a comparison basis. In Belgium, we have roughly 150 independent breweries that are making up 35% of the Belgian beer market. So it's massive. And when I say independent breweries, it's all specialty beer. So I'm mm. not counting in the Pilsner, or Lagers. Yeah. It's all specialty beers. So specialty beers in Belgium make up one third of the beer market. And half of that production is exported. So how have we come to that point over time? It's because the Belgian independent brewers or craft brewers have really invested in quality consistency and they have really invested in building brands and pillar products that allowed them to be recognized internationally and really go cross-border and be in a position where half of their production is exported. So when you say 75 litres on average per capita being consumed as beer in Belgium, and strange enough it's the same number in Australia. I really look forward for the day where the Belgian um, beer consumption, or and the Australian independent beer consumption, will be reaching one third. You know, uh, one third of that seventy-five liters. The craft brewer, you know, in Australia, will be reaching one third of the seventy-five liters. So there is still a lot of potential, you know, for the Australian craft beer because it is still a very small portion today of the average beer that is consumed here in Australia.
0: It's interesting. I hear you talk about the Belgian beer culture and at the moment the US, the United States, um, has had so much experimentalism. They've been very dynamic. They've driven the, the rise of craft beer. And When they speak, they speak about how they are the leaders of beer innovation. Um, but then to, to hear you talk about the Belgian beer styles, um, it, it, it's almost as if the uh, craft beer movement is in its uh, feisty adolescent stage. As somebody who's grown up with the classic Belgian styles, do you enjoy the craft beers that are maybe a little bit brasher or a little bit more hop driven or um, dare I say even sour beers or mixed fermentation beers that Mm -hmm. are very different to to the classic Belgians? Do you you enjoy the uh, craft beers that are being made?
1: I guess the fundamental question at some point as a beer drinker and beer lover is the diversity that you you will be exposed to. Polarizing you know beer in one way or the other is never a good <laughs> solution. So going the extreme of hops or you know going the extremes of high fermented beers is not necessarily the solution. I think as consumers, we need choice. We need diversity, we need balance, uh, and we need indeed beer that will be, uh, suited to different occasions, different moods, different circumstances. And and that's probably where the Belgian beer is, is offering that diversity. You know, I was just mentioning the 1,500 different types of beers you know that are being produced in Belgium and four different types of fermentations, you know, that probably most of the brewers only refer to two, <laughs> at best. Yes. <laughs> so... It just shows also the versatility of the Belgian beer. And what really makes the Belgian beer so unique is because the emphasis is much more on malt than on hops. And the fact that malt is the structure, the architecture of the beer, also allows the yeast to develop all these certain nuances and complexity that makes the Belgian beers so different. So it's about a matter of choice and taste, but eventually, if you want to have that flexibility and optionality, you'd rather go for what gives you more option, which is the malt, than just being limited to what hops can eventually offer and be mono-dimensional.
0: <laughs> so, what uh, you've been here for a year and a half, um, what beers can you not get here that you miss? Which Belgian beers, if, if we're traveling to Belgium, should we really be looking for? Yeah,
1: I guess, again, without being chauvinistic, I'm missing. Although I could find them here, but not to the extent that I was used to enjoying them back home. <laughs> but any beer that is top fermented without making any promotion for any uh, <laughs> particular Trappist beer, uh, that would be typically what I'm fond of, you know, these complex beers that we, we are known for in Belgium.
0: Yeah. How do you find the beers travel? Um, down because it's a long way to come um, and lager beers don't travel terribly well have you found that some of your favorite be- uh, Belgian beer styles have traveled when you get to try them here?
1: Um, I actually try to avoid the lagers that have been long yes. traveled.
0: <laughs> but how, how about some of the top fermentation ones or the Trappist beers?
1: Yeah uh, really I try to take them along with me in my suitcase
0: Oh do you? Okay oh, so yeah. they, I think they call it muling. so you bring yeah. your own okay <laughs> So is 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 that a uh, is that an indictment on the logistics industry that they're just not the beers that we're trying here aren't a patch on when they're fresh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just enjoying one of those beers just fresh from the tap is a completely different sensory experience than what we're experiencing here. I mean, I can just confirm that.
0: Well, I I I like to say that uh, beer is something you should travel for, not beer shouldn't do the travelling. So uh, you you just confirm that. do you have any views on the Australian beers you've tried?
1: Oh, I do. And I was actually very positively surprised by the diversity of the landscape. A little bit, maybe too much on the hop spectrum compared to my personal taste, uh, but very impressive um, diversity and bold choices of ingredients, you know, which is something that you wouldn't find back, you know, in Europe, which is a bit more traditional. Um, but very strong you know, names and DNA in the, in the beers that we are used to, Australia really gives us that land of opportunity and, and even a touch of craziness you know, in experimenting. I guess the moment of truth will be how long-lasting will these experiments survive over time and how much of a pillar will they really constitute for their conceptors, the brewers and how much recognition they will also get internationally beyond the boundaries of Australia. Because let's not fool ourselves, Australia, 23 million inhabitants. I mean, we hopefully have an ambition greater than the 23 million (laughs) inhabitants. And therefore, I really hope that our craft brewers here in Australia are also targeting that very vast market of Asia, Asian beer lovers, uh, you know, that is emerging, but certainly promising. So we've got to be creative and audacious and at the same time aim for long-term consistency and customer preference.
0: And dare I ask about having talked about the beauty of Belgian beer culture and the reverence that's given, um, have you had a chance to look at Australia's approach to beer culture? Do do, do we have one? And you've got a big grin on your face as you say (laughs) that, so...
1: (laughs) Yes, I, I try to still decode the <laughs> Australian beer culture. Um, my first observation is probably very modest, but tends to be a male-orientated drink, very often associated with sport events, um, or just you know, casual get-togethers, and so often the emphasis is put on quantity rather than the quality. Um, and at the same time I'm also seeing more and more women who are actually tempted by these new creations you know in the craft arena and who really want to try craft beers as an alternative to wine first you know from a taste perspective you know experimenting but also it's a safer bet than having a glass of wine just because of the lower alcohol content so and I'm also going to certainly promote the health benefits of <laughs> beer <laughs> With all these natural ingredients, you know, with beautiful malted barley, uh, and some touch of hop and yeast. <laughs> <laughs> so I can. We'll let you get like... a bit of a
0: plug in here. <laughs> okay, well, we'll let you get away with that one. Is is beer in Belgium? Um, is, is it masculine or is it gendered or is it just very much a, you know like a, a a drink that everyone enjoys?
1: It's literally a drink that everyone enjoys. It would be very common to have a summer know te- bar during summertime where you will have ladies and gentlemen enjoying a glass of beer before we go to dinner or even enjoying beer with dinner um, so it's not at all gender segregated and there's no connotation if you're a lady drinking beer you're not necessarily associated being a truck driver or <laughs> <laughs> you know so beer is really a noble drink I think that is a big difference you know with some of the considerations I'm seeing in some geographies where beer is still associated being a secondary drink versus more noble drinks like wine or champagne or
0: uh, is there a big wine culture in Belgium
1: not so much of because we have fantastic beers so although Belgium is one of the largest champagne drinkers in the world per capita um, beer remains the largest consumed drink in Belgium although we also love our wine uh, not saying that Belgian people are alcoholics not at all <laughs> but <laughs> it's just a diversity and again it is really appealing to many taste buds. and the cultural and heritage component also makes it even more attractive
0: and, and is it just the heritage and the history that sees modern day uh, Belgians appreciate beer the way that they do could we See uh, Australians develop that sort of reverence for beer over time.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because it's a matter of how you make it your own and what values you attach to those moments where you share a glass of beer, you know, with people around you. So beyond the congeniality, you know, that you want to share with a glass of beer, is also what is it? What is the story you want to share behind that beer? glass of beer. And it was interesting, we recently discussed about one of the first craft beers in Australia without really making a promotion for Mountain Goat, which is now maybe less independent, but still known to be one of the first uh, steppers in this area. It's just 20 years old, you know? So it's still a very young culture in Australia and therefore very promising. But I guess also in the right status today to ask oneself some of the questions that the industry is asking, where are we heading, what is it that we want to become, and how are we speaking to our consumers um, in terms of offering. It doesn't need to be centuries old to be worth it. I think the Australian scene is clearly demonstrating that being modern, hype, audacious equally pays off, but quality and consistency is essential.
0: Well, we've seen such excitement around beer, and one of the ingredients that has uh, really driven that is the, the hop-forward beers, the, the, the beers that, you know, when uh, beers like Little Creatures first uh, launched, you knew you were trying something different, and that's uh, really fired mm-hmm. a whole industry. Um, more recently, we've seen some of the yeast-driven beers and sour um, beers um, because, again, they're very distinctive. Uh, do you think, as somebody who sells malt for a living, do you think that we will see malt come back into fashion and start to take more of a leading role in beers rather than, uh, you know, sort of call it the rhythm guitarist of, of, of the beer's ingredients, it, does, it just sort of lays down a back beat, uh, a back yeah. track. Do, do you think that we will start to see malt um, become much more important to brewers?
1: I guess it has to. If you want to leave that lasting impression and lasting taste um, when drinking beer, you can't can't just get satisfied with the first notes that you're tasting, which very often has nothing to do with malt. (laughs) So eventually it is what is the overall balance of what you're tasting in your mouth and also what is the foam that you're seeing in your glass because it is also part of the experience of drinking beer. And I have seen, unfortunately, many occasions of flat beers no head
0: (laughs) Mm,
1: no foam very good taste but taste is also vanishing very quickly or overpowered you know by some other ingredients so it's all a matter of building that balance but to build that balance you need the right architecture you need the right foundation and i think what i can certainly claim here is that the right malt provides you that right architecture
0: but there are a lot of beer drinkers who it is that quest for hoppier and hoppier beers, essentially less and less balanced beers that drives them. Um, is that just a fad that we're going through at the moment, do you think? Do you think that people will start to develop an appreciation yeah. for beers that are more balanced? Or do you think that we will, uh, I, I'm sure you're hoping that they are, but do you, do you, do you think, or how, how do we start to reset that balance and start to find um, consumers who want to drink beers that are a little bit more nuanced than just punch-in-the-face uh, you know, tropical fruit notes or pineapple.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess it's a matter of educating the consumer taste buds over time and also giving them the option to try something different. Uh, if this is what you've grown up with, if this is what you have always been exposed to, you will not necessarily notice that it's not the most balanced beer that you're actually tasting. But if the industry is Diverse enough in terms of trying new trends and styles of beers, you know, and reviewing the recipes, the way they're balancing their ingredients, I think the consumer will certainly be receptive. But today we probably go too much one side of the spectrum, and of course, very difficult to educate the consumers who are discovering craft beer because it's fundamentally different to the mainstream beers that you know Australians have been growing up with. Um, and coming from Belgium. For us, we have literally grown up by knowing exactly the difference between a pale, a lager and a special beer from very early ages. And you can make the difference, you can detect the you know, subtle nuances in that beer, and you also know what makes that difference. So I guess Australia probably will have a couple of years ahead to discover you know, these subtle nuances. But we, as craft brewers, I think we also need to offer that option to the consumer.
0: So coming from outside the uh, to the beer industry, even though you grew up um, in a uh, very strong beer culture, you worked outside the beer industry, um, but then you've stepped into the beer industry um, in, through Cargill. What did you notice about the malt industry um, stepping into the business and what have you seen needs to change as a, as, as a business or as an industry mm-hmm. to make malt sexier or make it more attractive to brewers to, to start showcasing malt? Mm-hmm.
1: I guess, first of all, as a, as a master, it's all about understanding the needs of our customer. So what is it that our brewer wants to achieve and convey in the final beer to their consumer? And knowing that, it's not just providing them a commodity, which is making up most of their mash. <laughs> it's really providing them, you know, that product that will reveal the essence of what they want to, you know, create as part of the beer they want to put on the market. And that means not only giving them the right malt that will give them, you know, necessary extract, enzymatic activity, you know, to allow for the magic of the yeast and everything coming together, but at the same time give them that consistency so that from batch to batch that they produce, they get the same quality. And this is what the consumer eventually can experience. Um, so this is certainly a aspect that we try to foster more and more as Cargill Malts and white maltings here in Australia. Um, and we're also very fortunate to have some home brewers among our maltsters, So they know exactly how their product behaves in their own home brew. And these people are very passionate about you know malting because they know how it eventually lands in your glass.
0: And I guess that's one of the the, the key things is that we talk <coughs> about the creativity of brewing, we talk about the the artistic expression of brewing. Mm. But consumers want beer to be, you know, they want the last bottle to be similar to this bottle, and yep. that's where consistency of technique, but also consistency yep. of ingredients, mm. comes in. Um, at, at the uh, at BrewCon, you launched the. Uh, new Signature Malt uh, series and that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about today. Um, perhaps you can explain what Signature Malt is and how it came about.
1: Yeah, this is actually a project that we're very proud of and we have been developing in collaboration with Bintani, our exclusive partner in Australia and New Zealand. Um, we actually wanted to bring a new product on the market that would provide that consistency but also provide every year what Australia has best to offer in terms of malting barley, really targeting a specific region and having that um, single region sourced barley malted in one location with a dedicated team of professionals from our Cargill malt um, teams and at the same time make sure that that product will be available across Australia so that all brewers in Australia can see the difference of that single origin you know, malted with extra care and passion and love <laughs> into their glass of beer eventually.
0: So, how, I mean, there are so many different parameters. How do you determine um, what the best malt is and from the best region with the best conditions each year? There's, there's so much that goes into that. What's the decision-making process?
1: Right, I guess this is where we're very proud also of our uh, analytical capabilities within Cargill. You know, we have a very extensive technical center in Sydney and this year uh, our signature malt has been um, actually growing in the New South Wales region and malted at our Minto malting house in Sydney. So we have really the chance to have that product that's been really malted in the best conditions by that dedicated team and analyzed in the same location. And for us what is important is a couple of criteria. Obviously as a brewer you want to have that extract you know, that's going to give your yield in brewing at the same time the spectrum of australian beers is so wide you know that we need to make sure that this particular malt is going to fulfill the needs of the enzymatic activity of the different types of beers for which it will be used to so versatility at the same time consistent performance is really what we try to achieve with this signature malt so does, how does it position itself versus the remainder of our uh, malt portfolio that Bintani is also promoting here in Australia? Actually, it is just the high-end products that we will bring every year with a different story because every year it can be a different region that will be put under the spotlight because we will believe that that region will have the best barley that we can share across Australia um, for that particular harvest. So it is the origin very often a single origin, it has uh, also the malting conditions that that will make it different to the rest of our portfolio. And at the same time, uh, it's really the particular focus and attention and particular parameters that we'll try to hit consistently for that particular malt that will be put on the market. So we indeed talk about the series because this is the first of the series and next year will be another adventure for sure.
0: One of the constant tensions that we hear about is getting barley growers to invest the time and the effort to make the best quality malt they can and if if, if the price that they're getting for malting grade barley isn't high enough, um, it's a lot of effort to go to. How do you engage growers in this process to make sure that they are growing? malt for brewing and, and, or growing barley for no. malting and brewing specifications?
1: Yeah, it's actually a very good question and this is also an area where we're very uh, fortunate you know, to have the backing of a greater organization like Cargill in Australia uh, where through um, local brands AWB, Australian Wheatboard and Grainflow, uh, who are grain receivable sites in um, in most parts of Australia, we have this intimate relationship with growers, so we already have access to the growers. It's a matter of indeed convincing them that malting barley is a better product for them than any other crop that they could potentially consider. And to your point, you know, it's it's a matter also of rewarding the effort at the right value. So. There's no intention as such to buy things cheap, because we know good things don't come cheap. (laughs) So it's making sure that every contributor of the supply chain are properly rewarded. They understand the value of what they do. We work hand in hand, very often long-term partnerships, you know, with some of our growers. And they understand also the importance of some parameters like protein, for instance, you know, that they have to closely monitor, because this is really what's going to give us, you know, the extract that we're after at the end.
0: How do you incentivize brewers to be willing to, I presume that uh, something like the Signature Malt is going to be a premium mm-hmm. product and a premium price, how do you convince brewers that they should be spending more for their ingredients to justify all of the, those, those extra quality steps in the process?
1: I guess the consistency that they will achieve uh, from one bag to the other and from one batch to the other, thanks to this product, is certainly a grant of guarantee. Uh, we, will, we will provide with this product. Um, the higher extract compared to what you, know, you would normally achieve in Australian conditions uh, is another proof point. Um, and I guess, indeed, the final result of that malt combined with their own effort of brewing with other ingredients will certainly be a quick demonstration of the different value that we're we'll positioning here.
0: What volumes are we talking about because obviously is this a boutique thing that only a few people are going to get their hands on or is this going to be done at scale so it's something that can reach across the industry?
1: I guess that's the beauty of how we operate here. You know, We can start boutique and then quickly leverage to grand scale if this is the path we choose to go. Um, we want to keep the options open at this point in time. But it's, it's definitely a path that we are serious into and it will very much depend on the response of the market.
0: Well, I guess we'll see. So it's been launched. Uh, it's been launched uh, at the at BrewCon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available for brewers to see. So I guess we'll uh, be able to see how the uptake is, and maybe we can touch base towards the end of the year and just see how it's gone, and yep. maybe even look at a couple of beers. And maybe even we'll get next time we'll get to sample yep. a beer made with the, uh, the the malt, so we can yep. see just how good it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We really look forward to it and we're absolutely excited about this opportunity. So thank you for having me here.
0: Wonderful, Belgian Coast. Thank you very much for joining us on Beer as a Conversation and uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, try some nice Belgian beers when you bring some back for me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) We'll forget that one.
0: And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week.